HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. This is our 318th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a national spirits specialist and portfolio mixologist, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be a true brand ambassador. Find companies and products that you strongly believe in and seek to represent them, being a genuine voice for what they stand for. As an ambassador, you can bring authentic awareness to the brand and be a real buzz creator helping to spread the word and generate interest. So make it your business to support what you believe in. It's on brand. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm really excited to have my guest joining me. It is Lynn House. She is a national spirit specialist and portfolio mixologist for Heaven Hill Brands, a role she's been at since 2019. Lynn has had a long and extensive career in the beverage industry, Her previous roles at Heaven Hill include National Brand Educator and National Pama Brand Ambassador. Among her accolades, she was a 2019 national finalist for Best American Bar Mentor at the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards, as well as a 2017 and 18 Top 4 National Finalist in the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards for Best American Brand Ambassador. Prior to working at Heaven Hill, She was the chief mixologist at Blackbird Restaurant in Chicago. Without further ado, hi, Lynn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. It's so good to hear you. (laughs) Ditto. (laughs) I mean, we're not in public. We're not in person. So I'm like, see you, but we're hearing each other, but it's good to hear you. So hello and welcome. Well, hello and welcome to you. I'm really excited to talk about your career because, you know, we've, we've recently connected and gotten to know each other a little bit, but I, I don't know your history. So why don't you take us back a little bit to uh, what led you into the bartending hospitality industry? Um, what brought me into the industry was really just necessity. So I graduated from Miami University in Ohio, and my degree is in theater, and I paid for college, and that's where I had my first restaurant bar experience, and so when I graduated from college, because I had worked for in this, and it was very different, it was like frozen blue Hawaiians and super shots and all kinds of things, it was a very, very different that we talk about the bar industry now, but that was my first step into this field. 
So when I graduated from college and moved to Chicago and was trying to find jobs to pay in between acting gigs and such, um, restaurants and bars were my home. I knew the people, I had connections. It was easy for me to get jobs and um, it became kind of a parallel scenario of, of two professions working at the same time. So when did you make that switch into just seeing the hospitality industry as your full-time career? It was about 2006, 2007, which is um, really interesting because that is really when we saw the rebirth of the classic cocktail and Dale DeGroff's books were coming out and we were learning about other things. And um, I had been working fine dining for a while, but I've always had a creative streak and was just like, I just don't want to be a waiter or a bartender. I would like to, if this is what the industry I'm going to be in, I own my own work and a lot of theater skills uh, crossed over from them. So um, yeah, but during that, that year, yeah, during that year, I read Anthony Diaz's book. And so I started, um, at the fine dining restaurant that I worked at, which is a James Beard restaurant. It was called spring. And I, I said, I want to bring light to cocktails and spirits. And it was still a wine world at that time. And they were like, why? But it made sense. <laughs> and so, <laughs> It made sense to me, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Now it's and, funny because I think nowadays it makes sense to everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, your bottom line is actually built on spirits and not on wine and cocktails. Just like if you're looking at driving dollars, and but I was just like, it didn't make sense to me to work in this amazing James Beard Award winning restaurant with a James Beard nominated wine list. And we were serving blue and purple cocktails. Like I was like that. So I wanted to change it. And so I worked hard to change it. And that was really the beginning of my shift. Yeah. And when did you join Blackbird? So um, after that position, I was the general manager for another James Beard award winning institution um which was hot chocolate mindy siegel oh right finally got her accolades so i was her general manager and in that role i ran the beer wine spirits portfolio and then i left there and uh almost went i had a couple of little menial jobs in between but i went to um the drawing room which won many accolades and I left drawing room and went to work for Graham Elliott, another James Beard award winning restaurant. And I ran that beverage portfolio. And after two years of running that, I went to Blackbird. So Blackbird is my last job behind the stick. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, just, I don't, I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but I lived in Chicago after college um, from 90, oh, wow. from 95 to 98 before I moved to New York and I worked in restaurants. I had, a, I thought I wouldn't be a chef. I was, I mean, I would, I went to cooking school in Chicago, but on the high end, I was a server at Charlie Trotter's. Oh, Charlie. So such an influence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Incredible. And I worked for chefs that worked for Charlie. So they trained under him and, had the opportunity to go to some of his like private meals and such. So it's just six degrees of separation. We're all connected in this industry in one way. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And I believe Blackbird was opening right when I left um, around 98, 99. And I mean, I've since been back. I've I've had incredible meals there and I've had Donnie Medea on this podcast. um, But I'm such a fan of that restaurant and um, that's, you know, I mean, all the restaurants and chefs you've named are just great. That's great, wonderful experience and says a lot for um, what you did with their bar programs as, as, um, as, as you said, award-winning restaurants. I mean, Donnie is, is my heart. I love Donnie. 
My interview with Donnie when I was getting hired at Blackbird is probably the funniest story that anyone's ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Do we have time? Uh, Because he's a tough cookie (laughs) and I'm a tough cookie. So we were two tough cookies in the same room. And I was like, really, dude, you're going to out tough me. (laughs) Um, But I heart him to death and we stay in contact and uh, working at Blackbird was just one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. And the lessons that I learned there, and I learned a lot of lessons, um, tremendous lessons about management by looking at that one-off hospitality group, the way they run their programs, I think is exemplary. They are huge supporters of women, which was a great place to be and the right place to be at the right time. And they just do good stuff. You know, we had a forager yeah. on staff. Who gets to say that you got to work with a forager for your cocktail program? <laughs> Not a lot of people, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. So what then led you to to join PAMA and and become a national brand ambassador and go, go that route with your career? Honestly, I've got to say it was age. Um, okay. I mean, I was, oh my gosh, I've been with Heaven Hill now for nine years. So I was 48-ish, we'll say. And I was just feeling the physicality of the industry, standing on your feet for 14 hours, the up and down, all of that. And it was starting to take a a strong physical toll in my life and an emotional toll as well, you know, when you're like, yeah. Oh, I'm so sore from working Saturday and Sunday. I can't do anything and I want to do stuff. Um, and so I, I love this industry. I think hospitality industry is an amazing industry and I love being on the spirit side. I understand the food side very well from working with so many chefs, but I just had to figure out how I could physically do it. And the um, initial opportunity came up for me to interview for Pama. So I interviewed. I was one of their last interviewees. It was down to me and three people. And um, I went out on the position and that started a whole new chapter in my career. Amazing. So what is, and what is, what does it entail or is it as, as being, or what did it entail and how did you, um, transition then through with your role at Heaven Hill to now be national spirit specialist and portfolio mixologist, which is a nice, yeah, really nice title. It's a lofty title, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. I like it. I like it. I know, but it's like two lines on my business card and I think it's ridiculous. I'm like, can we figure <laughs> out something simple? Um, you can just go back so- to, uh, I guess, a former bartender. <laughs> Yeah, I like drinks. How about that? Can we just put that? But that That doesn't professionally translate. So for me personally, and everyone has a different journey, you know, so I want people listening to know that. For me personally, the initial was just like, I got so excited. Oh my gosh. I had New Year's Eve off for the first time in 20 years. I had Mother's Day off. I had. So there was like, I actually regained a little bit more of my personal life because that's not where a brand ambassador works, right? As opposed to someone working every day in the industry. So that was really awesome. But the transition was... Um, I, and I had to learn a lot on the road really quickly. I, I travel pre COVID about 38 weeks out of the year. So that was a big transition for me. Like, Oh, you don't work in bars every day, but you travel now. And that's a different work set of mind. Um, yeah, I had to, uh, not be so crafty with my cocktails because I was writing a lot of cocktails for um, larger audiences, I guess it would be the best best way to say that. Um, and with that, you know, they're not going to find like huckleberries and muddled rosemary, you know, so I had to figure things like that out. So my first year was a lot of learning, but Heaven Hill has a huge, huge portfolio. And as I was learning, I'm like, 
well, I've already worked with all these spirits and I love all spirits and I wanted more than just representing one brand. So I started um, initially myself uh, just self-educating and, you know, offering the opportunity to, to talk about things that I had learned about and people were responding really well. So that's how I got promoted to national brand educator. And then I just kept saying, we have this huge portfolio. I want the whole portfolio. So after about three years in that role, um, I got elevated to the position that I'm in now. So how do you manage all of those? I mean, I was on your website scrolling through and yes, it's a huge portfolio. <laughs> it's huge. And we keep buying more stuff. We just acquired Samson and Surrey. Uh, I think that was about a month ago, you know, so that's a whole new six brands that, that I need to learn. And they're phenomenal brands. I've already worked with a lot of them. Um, I'm excited to have them in our portfolio and to have them at my access. I don't have a um, scroll sheet, I guess is the way I would say, as to how you manage it. It really is learning to prioritize what your priorities are and setting some annual goals for yourself. So anyone who's looking to get into brand work, no matter what you bring, if it's one brand or a portfolio or whatever, like what are your goals? Who do you want to touch? What are the things you want to do? How do you want your brand to look and write that out for yourself first? So kind of a storyboard and then trying to make sure that what you're doing week to week hits those goals. That's great advice. And that's been my answer, particularly since I work on such a very big, um, diverse and large portfolio, but it's what I do. And I've got, if you were, I mean, I'm, you know, I work from home now and I travel, but I've got storyboards all over the place of like, and I just, in a hundred different markers. <laughs> yeah. I'm like. Crossing off. Did I do this? Have I not done this? If it's something I haven't crossed off for a while, I'm like, eh, maybe not a priority, but you know, but I think right now for me, my huge passion and focus is um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly as a woman of color in this industry. And not many look like me in this industry. And I know that. Um, and since I'm out there, I feel a, a tremendous responsibility to be a beacon for them and to create insight for that community, as well as wanting to support LGBTQIA and wanting to support um, conservation issues. I mean, the world's not getting bigger, it's just getting smaller. So those are also big goals that I have on my board. And I'm, I'm really trying to make sure that everything that I do is tackling one of those issues. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And you're back to how much are you traveling now and going to events? Because that's unfortunate that we got to meet in yeah. New York, which was for me, I think for most of us there, one of the first events we were kind of socializing at um, with COVID and it was at Mason Premier, fabulous restaurant. In uh, I love and, that um, restaurant. Those yeah, oysters. You, and we were all so giddy because we were like, I haven't seen people for you. <laughs> I know. And it was an intimate event and uh, Gia put it, you know, and invited me and just, it was, it was, I was so happy to be there. But so, so that, yeah, that was brought you back here. Are you, um, so how much are you traveling now? So I just traveled to Seattle and Vegas, and those were my first trips since my New York trip. Okay. Um, our company, we are private and family owned, and so they really treat every member of the company like family and have been just really, really conservative about like taking care of COVID and being smart about it. And they live in Kentucky and Kentucky's been a hot mess. So um, <laughs> um, long story short, Kentucky, Florida, you know, a couple of States, <laughs> but um, what they have, they have not, they've not allowed us to travel. 
So I got to travel on that because that was a featured event. And you got to meet Kate and Kate's a member of the family. She's third generation, but I've not traveled since then. So I've only done two trips this year. Things will probably open up in June for me to start traveling. And I suspect I'll, I mean, it'll be, we've learned that we can live in a hybrid world as well. I really don't want to do a Zoom call ever again, but I know that's going to be part of my future. Um, oh my gosh, they're horrible. I, I, you're not the first I've, I've, I've heard that from. I think people got Zoom fatigue for sure. Well, there's Zoom fatigue and you have to understand if you're used to dealing with people in live and you feed off of their reactions and then when you're just on a flat screen, I'm like, are you even like watching me or are you just texting on your phone and signed it? You know, so I'm like, yeah. And I, I did a training for Seattle Cocktail Week last week. I was giddy and over the moon. I couldn't stop laughing through the whole thing. I was like, and I was looking at them I'm like, I'm so happy. This is my first live training, <laughs> you know, in two years. And I do what I do because I love what I do. Um, but pre-COVID to your question, 38 weeks to 41 weeks out of the year is when I travel. I suspect it'll be cut, maybe cut back and maybe not. I don't know. Cause I don't think we quite know what the brand new world is going to look like. Yeah, true. Well, we will stay tuned for that. Yeah. Let me ask you my question for my last guest. On episode 317, I had on Joanna mm-hmm. James. She's the founder oh. and CEO of MAP. Do you know Joanna? I don't, but I, you, uh, you connected us an email, and I went and, like, uh, scoped her out. So I was like, oh, super interesting person. I really need to know this person a little better. So Yeah, she's she's – I've gotten to know her um, – more recently too. And she's doing a conference coming up, the MAP Restaurant Reset uh, Mm -hmm. from April 24th to 26th. And she she did this amazing film, A Fine Line, uh, Women's Place in the Kitchen. So her questions for you are, Mm. how do you see all the the different beverage programs and bars operating differently than when you were initially in it as a bartender referring to? Are there more women in leadership positions? Are the, are there zero zero tolerance policies? Is it more respectful? And are there more opportunity for growth? That's the first part. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, a short story and delicate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I didn't I didn't need to prep for this show. We could have just led with Joanna's questions. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, ooh, I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> Uh, so you may have to refresh me throughout cause I'm going to go on tangents. Yeah. Um, when I first got it started in this industry, I was in college and there were no women leading bar programs. We worked as cocktail servers and that was it. You may have gotten a bar shift, but you got like Sunday brunch. Like, cause if the guys didn't work it, then you could have it. So that part has shifted, seeing more women out in the beverage industry. Um, But I've been in this industry for 35 plus years, and it took all of almost 35 plus years to see that change happen. But with everything, when you kick ceilings and doors in, it just happens, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing a huge progression. I give huge kudos to uh, Lynette Marrero and Ivy Mix of Speed Rack yeah, for what they have done to bring attention to women in the industry. I do seminars on the evolution of women in the industry. That's one of the things I do when I'm out in training and talking about spirits because I want people to understand the history And what people don't really realize that the last laws in this country, which is gross and sad, did not end until, as we're talking, you know, it's Women's History Month, did not end until the late 1970s that kept women from bartending. And the two states that were the last states to sign off, shocker, Illinois and California, which are now two of the most progressive states. Interesting. 
And it was actually a, uh, I can't think of their number right now, but it was uh, in Chicago. I want to say it was like 1976, 78. And it was a uh, union of black female bartenders that succeeded in getting that law stricken down. And in California, it was actually women that bartended in strip halls that got it stricken down. And Gloria Altright was one of their lawyers. That was where she got her first teeth cut. Oh, wow. And I mean, we're talking 1978. I mean, I'm old, so I was almost 10 at that. I was 10 at that time, you know? So I'm like, yeah. to think about, like, when I was 10 years old, there were still laws in this country that didn't allow women to bartend. It's ridiculous. Um, but I'm not that old, so we no, should be you're, No, you're not. And I like to say yeah. age is just a number. <laughs> it's just a number, but I, I want people to recognize it's within my lifetime that mm-hmm. in your lifetime that people, that women still weren't able to bartend. So that's my first. So it's gotten better and it's gotten tremendously better as far as representation. Um, like I said, you're going to remind me of all the parts. because Yeah, <laughs> no, that, you answered that. I mean, uh, she's uh, the other part. um are there more women in leadership positions, zero tolerance policies are you seeing? And then the other, she also is another part of the question of, um, as an educator now, can brands take on, take more of an active role in trying to make things a little better when it comes to them engaging with places? Got you. So brands definitely can take on a huge role because they set the tone. That's what marketing is about. Marketing is about setting the tone, whether it's a liquor brand or Coca-Cola or a Band-Aid. It's about setting the tone for the brand. So brands can totally take a huger uh, role in uh, creating new conversation, better conversation. Um, I know we're doing that. I know other brands that are doing that. And it always helps when the big brands are doing it and they create easy pathways for the smaller brands. Um, I think that, um, the zero tolerance policy, I'm not sure where we are with that because that is more of an independent question. Are bars, I'm going to say, or hotels, you know, uh, distributors, are they going to say, we absolutely have zero tolerance for this now? I I just put a big question mark on it. I know it's a hot topic, but hot topics can get skewed and as things open up and everyone's looking to re- regain capital again, so it could it could sadly shift and I hope it doesn't back to as the same as it ever was. I think there are bars and brands and distributors and such that have made that zero policy commitment, but um, it's really going to f- kind of fall on the consumer and it's a two part consumer in this industry. Um, I'm not just talking about like the person buying something at a store or in your bar, but also your beverage directors who are buying brands and such they're consumers as well. It's going to fall upon them to make it follow through. So I don't know where that's at. Yeah. Well, you know, that conversation, like it was so loud last year and this year it's really quiet. Everyone just wants to get open and they're like, what's the fastest way we can do it? So I really hope those DEI initiatives don't fall to the wayside. Yeah. Well, those are, I mean, it's a big question and great, great answers. So before we take a break, uh, one more question, just what advice would you give to someone who wants to Maybe I know your your path wasn't direct, but follow your footsteps or become a mixologist, mm. become a brand ambassador. Um, is there is there something you would advise for them at this in today's day and age? Absolutely. So I come from a family of educators. Um, both my grandparents had master's degrees. You know, my grandmothers, which is amazing, because they were born in respectively, 1917 and 1918, um, got master's degrees in education. Yeah. And people need to understand that that's 
was really difficult as women of color during that time. Um, so education has always been a huge emphasis in my life as to what my family taught me and as to what I do and what I do with my kids, my grandkids, you know. Um, so I think education is important. I want people, particularly if you're looking in brand life and spirits, don't isolate yourself into one spirit. Learn about all spirits. Don't isolate yourself into one category. Learn about wine, tea, coffee, water. Um, everyone always asks me, what's my favorite cocktail book? And it's the Flavor Bible, which is a culinary book. Oh, yeah. I, I have because it. I, I love, I mean, <laughs> mine is so worn. And that's where 99% of my recipes come from that kind of put me on the, the bigger map. Because it's learning about how to build flavors and then tweak it to your and to your liking. But my biggest thing that I could tell anybody is, is be authentic and be yourself. Know your voice and figure out how your voice can resonate within. I love I love gymnastics and I it's a great quote that's out there and it's Women History Month, so it's like, you know, all over the place. But Simone Biles after um uh the Olympics in Brazil was asked, What does it feel like to be the next Usain Bolt? And she's like, I'm not the next Usain Bolt. I'm the first Simone Biles. And that feels great. Yeah. And that's just about owning your voice and being authentic. Cause I've heard bartenders say like, Oh, I'm going to be the next so-and-so and the next so-and-so where well, you're emulating somebody and you're copying their work. You're not trying to influence yourself. So I think that's as a mixologist coming up, running a beverage program as a brand ambassador, like just own who you are and what your voice is and what you want to, and then learn everything that you need to support that. Amazing. Love it. Really, really wonderful advice. And on that note, let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Lynn House. She's a the National Spirits Specialist and Portfolio Mixologist at Heaven Hill Brands. Lynn, it's time for my speed round game. What this is, is okay. I'm going to name, name, name a couple of things and uh, you get to pick your preference. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> no, you're ready. Okay, here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out at a restaurant. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Uh, alfresco, if the weather's nice. That's a good reason. Um, wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine. I'm a wine girl. <laughs> wine girl. Good to know. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Uh, small plates. Okay. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, chef's counter. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's my that's my choice. Okay, I have a few more. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? I like to tip, but I understand the all-inclusive. How about shaken or stirred? Stirred. This one might not be a fair one. This is my 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 maybe not <laughs> nice one, but I'm going to say blackbird or avec. Oh, Love them both, but Blackbird. It's closed, but I love yeah, Blackbird. Yeah, I figured you had that you might say that, but they're, yeah, I love them both too. Okay, last two cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Chicago? Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Maybe you'll be moving here soon. You come leave. Um, if I could live in Manhattan on my Chicago budget, I would be there. <laughs> there you go. We'll see. I don't know. Um, but Chicago, Chicago's a great city. I'm, uh, I, I like love Chicago. Don't get me wrong. I love Chicago, but I've always had a desire to retire to Manhattan. So, yeah. Well, there's uh, there's room for you. So uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see if you come one day. Okay. So for industry news this week, picked out an article that was in the New York times. It's entitled Chow Hound closes after 25 years of food obsession, wisdom, and debate founded in 1997 as a place for New York restaurant lovers. The site became a nationwide forum for dining and culinary discourse. This was by Eric Asimov. who's also been a guest on the show. Um, mm-hmm. I love that he was on, and um, yeah, this I don't know this. This is kind of like an end of an era for food foodies, food people, people. I don't know. Chowhound as yeah, it's it began twenty five years ago as this digital gathering place place for obsessive food lovers, and um, they decided they're going to close down the site on March twenty first. Um, I think from what I gathered, it was basically based on the difficulty of like just the, their capabilities and resources to maintain the site. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. But I feel I was, yeah, I've been familiar with them. I mean, it was the co-founder Jim, Jim uh, Leff. I think it's pronounced his last name. He's, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, it's, it's one of these sites that it was like, it would guess in a sense before it's time, it's because it feels nowadays, like there's lots of places where people chat about food, but this was like the OG. So no, it was, you're absolutely right. We, uh, you sent me the article, hadn't had a chance to read it. And I was like, I had to read it twice. I'm like, what? That's not, that doesn't seem right because it was, I worked fine dining for so long and I've gone to New York to dine for so long. And it was always a site that I went to like what's hot, what's good, what's unique. And it wasn't just about fine dining. It was about great food, you know, and I love that he gave, they gave such a voice to small people too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, Robert, when you said that, like Robert Sietzema, what, who's, who's now writes for Eater New York and he covers mm-hmm. more of the, um, I guess, uh, the, the mom pop type restaurants and more underground places, but he was an active contributor to that site for a while. I mean, I never, I never was a contributor on it, but I would, would visit the site and like, you know, read, but, um, I wasn't, I think some people also, it almost became like an obsession. Yeah. I think it launched a lot of, um, small venues, you know, if they, if they discovered it, it was like, like I said, you know, I live in Chicago and when I would go to New York, I'm like, Oh, what is, what are, what, what are they showcasing? You know? And, um, I understand the constraints of a new world and it's become much more of a digital and virtual world. So there's a lot more competition in that space as well. So that may lead to um, some of the difficulty, you know, maintaining, but they really did a lot to celebrate the amazing cuisine of New York. Um, which is why when you ask me Chicago, Brooklyn, Manhattan, I'm like, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I love when I come to New York, all I do is eat. I generally don't eat in anywhere big or fine dining. I eat like just where the good food is, you know, and I think they did a lot for the hospitality industry and small places and independent venues. And so I'm sad to see that they are retiring their site. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I think it's great that Eric wrote this piece and is a a tribute to them. And there's a great last quote in it from the co-founder, Jim, that's, I'm going to read it because it's, I think it's great. It says, before I wrote about food, I was making fines and no one cared. Then I became a writer and people cared. Then chow hound and they cared a lot. Now I continue to make great fines and nobody cares. From my perspective, it's all a, it's all been a comfortable straight line. I'm a chow hound mm. to my core. So go Jim. <laughs> go Jim. I mean, it's a great thing. And that's an interesting statement that he made. And I think it also just speaks kind of to the virtual world that we're in right now, that there's mm-hmm. so many different options. I, and I would disagree. I would say people still care about the unique finds. You're just competing with a bigger audience now, you know? So. Yeah. True. Um, but I've always been very appreciative of their finds and I'm going to miss not having them as a resource when I go to New York. Yeah, I hear you. Well, best of luck. Maybe you never know. Maybe they bring it back. Could happen. You never know. Maybe there's going to be like a huge, like, don't do it. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I wouldn't. My news next week, next week, tune in because no. Um, oh, that we'll would see. be great. You have to be like, <laughs> and maybe I like spurred them on for a little bit. But no, I mean, I, under, I understand that it's, it's just they're now in a space mm-hmm. that is so much more competitive. And let's face it, the restaurant industry and particularly our smaller one-offs and in New York everywhere took a huge hit these last two years. So it's a delicate time and I'm just hoping they reset, reset and come back and come back bigger and stronger as the whole world will come back bigger and stronger. I think that would be great. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Um, On another note today, were the announcements for the James Beard Foundation Awards nominees, the final nominee list of the uh, restaurant and chefs. And they also announced the Lifetime Achievement winner, humanitarian winner, and leadership honorees. And so I want to say congratulations to everyone. You could see this whole list. It's at jamesbeard.org. Uh, and there's there are several people on the list who've been on the show. To give a shout out to uh, J.J. Johnson, Best Chef New York. <gasps> Uh, I love JJ. He's the most awesome person. (laughs) JJ is the most awesome and very happy for him. Very happy for Katie Button, Best Chef Southeast, Ellen Yin, Outstanding Restaurateur. Um, Yeah. And and Sheldon Simeon, who was a guest of mine recently, is in Hawaii. He He was nominated. So it's nice to see these familiar names. And also I saw, um, a restaurant I went to in my solo dining experience, Bonnie's, the chef Calvin Eng is nominated for Emerging Chef. So Oh cool. Yeah, it was cool. And the, the awards are the awards are back in Chicago. It's June thirteenth this year. It's the weekend of June eleventh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I think they're on a ten year contract, so this is like your I don't know with COVID how it worked out, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I I've always I've I've gone ever I've always gone. So it must have been I must have gone to Chicago like I think like six times or something. I don't I mean maybe uh, no, it hasn't been in Chicago six times. I think it's only been in Chicago two maybe three times. Um, but I think the I want to believe from what I've heard it was like a ten year contract. Yeah, it's. it's, it's it's cheaper to do it here than in New York. So. <laughs> um, and well, I've been to the James Beard Awards in New York several times myself. So when I was part of the Blackbird team and before, so um, we got to do some really, really great um, events there. But um, I'm excited. I think, I hope it just brings some life back into the hospitality industry, which I love and I know you love, so. Yeah, um, I mean, I've always, that's why I usually go because, and just support it, and I've covered it on my show because it's, um, 
it feels good just um, for the chefs to get recognition and mm-hmm. um, bring and bring everyone together. So um, we'll see. I might be back in Chicago in June. <laughs> Well, let me know. I'm not sure if I'll be here, but if I am, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I will let you know. And congratulations to everyone. Um, so it's time for my solo dining experience. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So this week, I, I, I'm referring back to news that I covered last week on my show, but this week I decided to go to Russian Samovar. So here's the rundown. The location, 256 West 52nd Street off 8th Avenue in the Theater District in New York City. The concept, it's a New York institution since 1986. It's a family-owned Russian piano bar known for its flavored vodkas, caviar, and red chandeliers. The owner, it's it's a family business and is led by Vladivan Schatz, who is Russian, and her husband is Ukrainian. So why did I go? Well, Last week, we talked about in the show, Industry News, how Russian restaurants are, are having a PR problem um, with what's going on with the Ukraine. And I felt, well, let me let me do what I can to support and go support this restaurant that on their website, their front door, everywhere they have, they say they stand with their family and the friends in Ukraine. And so I felt, you know, I haven't been there. I think it was there a really long time ago. But I said, you know what? Let me go. Let me go support this restaurant. So. My experience. Okay, so Sunday night, I went as a walk-in, and what do you know? They were having a fundraiser event for Ukraine, and it was it was kind of it was crazy. It was busy, music, dancing. There was TV cameras there. Um, I w- I was going to stay. It was I realized it was it was probably better for me to come back because there had a lot going on. What was nice was there was someone at the front door who was taking out food, and we kind of had a little exchange how we were both there just because we wanted to support the restaurant. So he had the same idea in mind. So what I did the next night, I decided to go back and um, it it was about, it was, it was busy, but not as busy. And I got a seat at the bar and I chatted with the bartender about what to get. And I enjoyed my dinner. And they also, this restaurant has live, live music every night. So there was music and there was some tango dancing very happening place, very low key. I'd say it's kind of there. The service is is chill. <laughs> Things don't happen super fast there. However, yeah, I think it, the idea is kind of to relax, enjoy the music, and eat delicious food and have some good drinks. So, what did I get? I got the chicken Kiev, which is a bone in chicken breast filled with herb butter, lightly breaded and baked, and served with creamy mashed potatoes. I also had a club soda. My take, it was delicious. It was a really wonderful chicken dish, a buttery sauce. Uh, I loved it. And the mash was great. Um, I wasn't I wasn't super hungry um, b- but for this large portion, but I took my leftovers and actually had them the next day. So that was nice. Uh, the ambiance, um, it's a landmark location. It's very low lit. It's lively. Lots of red tones, tablecloths, chandeliers. It has a long bar in the front and with banquette seating and there's the music in the middle and then it kind of opens into the back into a bigger dining room. I'd say it's perfect for dinner or drinks with friends. Interesting tidbit. Um, so their motto is drink vodka, eat borscht and enjoy music. And this, the space has a long history. I was reading on their website that it used to be the original Jilly's canteen, which was owned by Frank Sinatra and Jilly Rizzo. And, um, yeah, this there was a. If you go to their website, it's pretty cool. They're talking about all these celebrities that used to go there and how they preserved the spot when they changed it over, I think in 1986. Um, and they've done some some celebrity stuff there as well. With um, a legendary dancer, Mikhail Garishnikov, uh, has been there and he filmed like Sex in the City there. It's a lot. It's a lot happening with this little spot um, right here in Manhattan. So, personal fun fact. Well, why wasn't I hungry? So hungry that night. Well, it was my second dinner that night. So that girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. But I was glad I went. The cost of the meal was $35, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. And their website's RussianSamovar.com, Instagram, RussianSamovar, underscore NYC, underscore. There you go. How about that? Oh, my mouth's watering. (laughs) (laughs) Chicken Kiev. Not something I've, you know... You see that much even on menus or that I've had that much, but it was, it's really nice chicken dish. You, you, you see it a bit more in the Midwest or at least 
growing up, I did. So (laughs) good to know. Good to know. Um, Okay. So it's now time for the final question. My next guest is Timon Ballou. He is an award-winning chef and partner who was born in into a Chinese and Trinidadian family. And he has several restaurants in South Florida, including the Catherine, Mrs. Ballou, and Ballou Walla. I love Timon. He's been to a bunch of his restaurants. And um, Lynn, can you please ask a question for Timon? Oh, my goodness. Uh... Hello, Timon. <laughs> Pleasure to um, virtually meet you. I guess my question for you is, what do you want people to know about your restaurants? Because I want people to like be filling your doors. Awesome. I will find out. I want to know. I want to know the same. <laughs> awesome. So thank you. That's the show. And you are incredible. I wish you much continued success success with your career, whatever direction it goes. And um, I hope to see you soon in Chicago, New York, or, or elsewhere. Excellent. It sounds like a plan. <laughs> thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm truly humbled and honored. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining me. My guest today has been Lynn House. She is the National Spirit Specialist and Portfolio Mixologist for Heaven Hill Brands. Their website is heavenhill.com, and you can follow her on social media at Liquid Lady Lynn, and Lynn has two N's. Follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks always to my engineer today, Kevin, and thanks again to Lynn. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.